0: to another episode of the Create Magic Podcast. Today we have a Creative Weirdos episode, which is the interview segment within the show in which I get to talk to all kinds of different friends about creative and weird stuff. And today I have Heather Mosher, who is a wonderful writer, thinker, researcher, and just genuinely wonderfully nice person. That was a lot of wonderful. But Heather is definitely worth it. Uh, You'll know her work from Small Town Monsters, both in the research side of the film and is also responsible for the small town monsters publishing side of things going on or largely responsible for a lot of what's happening over there and we get to talk about all of that and a ton more it was a wonderful conversation and it's nice to talk to people who are out there still talking to a lot of experiencers and provide a interesting view on that as well as a bunch of other stuff we talk about parenting of course and uh creativity in the way that is uh, accessible to everybody so enjoy this conversation check out heather's work linked below and i'll talk to you tomorrow bye I don't, I don't ever have anywhere to uh, really start with these things in particular, but one thing I figured would make sense to start with is how has life after MonsterFest been?
1: <laughs> <laughs> so life after MonsterFest uh, for me has been, um, I don't know, exhausting, but in a good way. And MonsterFest was a great experience. Um, I think that everybody involved would agree that we had to kind of sleep for a couple days afterwards. Mm -hmm. Um, So right now, at least on my end of things, as far as I'm just now back into straight research mode at this point, because we're in between big projects. Um, So everybody has their own role to play, but right now I'm back into the reading and researching aspect of things. So it's, it's calmed down a little bit because we had actually just come back we went to British Columbia um, at the beginning of May and we were only back two or three weeks before monster fest. So it was a very busy time for my end of things, getting stuff lined up for interviews and things for British Columbia. And then of course, while we're there, that's busy. And then right after that, we're getting into monster fest stuff. So it was just a, it was a lot back to back. And so now I think everybody's just kind of, we're just breathing for a minute before yeah, we pick that's up nice. again.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, so I'll do a proper introduction at the beginning of the show and everything. But mm-hmm. for anyone that doesn't know, your main role with Small Town Monsters is doing the research and doing all of the actual background investigation and finding the contacts and the experiencers and all. And, all the stuff that it like the framework of the whole thing. Right. So I think about that. I was, I was thinking about this Mm -hmm. because I've heard you talk about it on some other podcasts and I, I, I play drums in a band. And like when you go and record in a studio, you have to do the drums first and nothing else can really happen until you get the drum takes. And sometimes it's like, one of the only points in my life I feel pressure outside of like being a parent where I'm like, oh no, oh shit, I got to get this right or else nothing else can kind of go on. Do you ever feel that yeah. pressure as like the the framework of these projects? Like uh, h- how do you kind of deal with that from project to project? Or, or if you don't feel it at all, please tell me. <laughs> oh that. no,
1: I feel it for sure. I'm already, I'm a naturally anxious person anyway. So then when you add this kind of stuff on top of it, it just gets amplified. Um, I think the most there's two two aspects that i can like immediately comes to mind as far as waves of anxiety uh the one is when i'm first reaching out and trying to find witnesses because depending mm-hmm. on what it is um like bigfoot okay you're going to find bigfoot witnesses they're like yeah. all over the place it's really people are coming out they're you know more vocal about it but if i have to find witnesses for like ruguru was harder because nobody wants to talk about ruguru um UFO witnesses or experiencers, I guess I should say, they're more difficult at times. It seems like, um, just, I think just the nature of what they've experienced, they're not usually as willing to come forward. Um, and the same thing happened with the, the Skinwalker documentary. You had to be very careful talking about things like that. So it's that that's the first wave of anxiety is trying to find people, um, and hoping that I found enough that can make a cohesive whole for a movie. (laughs) Um, And uh, also, I mean, there's always the, I, the periphery of, okay, I don't want somebody that clearly is just making up a story. Like it's, Mm -hmm. it's on Reddit for a creepy pasta or something. Um, But those are easy enough to weed out. It seems that kind of comes forward when you start talking with them, because I spend a lot of time communicating with people before we ever, show up to anything uh before they ever agree to anything i've already spent hours communicating with them and building a relationship with them so i kind of get an idea of, of how they are anyway but that's the first wave of anxiety second wave is when we're actually there um and who knows what could go wrong either yeah. the witnesses may get uh cold feet and they back out um because that's happened uh mm-hmm. almost every shoot It seems like there's probably at least one that will back out or um, when we were in New Mexico filming um, American Werewolves 2, uh, one of the witnesses just didn't show up for hours. Um, And uh, so I'm trying to communicate with him. I'm thinking that he's backing out. It turned out to be there was a whole family situation that he was dealing with, but um, I didn't know what was going on and we're just all waiting (laughs) yeah. <laughs> but we also have a schedule to keep up with. So I try Absolutely. to I try to get the schedules organized in such a way that there is some leniency in case something like that happens. Um, but it's that's when the stuff kicks in. Uh, people start backing out or. Yeah, because um, yeah, our first full day in New Mexico, uh, because of a snowstorm, I believe, was the issue. The mm-hmm. people that were coming to us, we lost two witnesses, like, first day because oh, they wow. couldn't get to us. Just <laughs> logistically.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. The, so the log- we had to reschedule. The logistics, the logistics side of things is a whole other, like, besides just... Uh, kind of overcoming that whole talking to somebody about the weirdest stuff that they've ever gotten, uh, <laughs> had it happen to them and all of that. Like just the logistics of it all is uh, really no fun. This uh, actually makes me think of a few things that I want to ask you about this. And one of them goes back to something you said at the beginning of that, where uh, you know, it's a little easier to get Bigfoot eyewitness accounts and some, and some of these mm-hmm. uh, different uh, paranormal experiences are easier to find people to talk about. Do you find that that correlates at all with how much of a uh, transformational experience it is for the experiencer? Like, I know there's like some of my favorite stuff about this is the experiences you hear about people that they have an anomalous experience, and then afterwards they become really into creativity or making art, or they become very spiritual in a different way, or they become very uh, open up to an animistic worldview where it kind of parallels almost like a psychedelic experience. And I'm always interested if that makes it easier or harder to talk about and if that lines up with like you know having a very i don't want to say standard but a more uh, flesh and blood typical run in with bigfoot that eugene can just brush off as like you know a another animal maybe that's a little easier to talk right. about than like something that's like oh no i'm questioning my whole world view <laughs> and what the universe is and stuff it, would that line up at all with that uh w- with what you've experienced or from your talking to these experiencers
1: So, um, in some cases, yes. In other cases, no. Cause even with Bigfoot, we've um, had witnesses that when they describe what happened upon having their interaction, it's almost like their brain just melted down and they were literally having like a psychedelic moment. Uh, the sky Uh turns purple and whatever, but, um, which wasn't actually happening. I'm sure at the time, it's just the way their brain handled that scenario. Um, so that does happen with Bigfoot, but then these other some of the other witnesses that I can think of that had like really powerful experiences. And right now, the one that's coming to mind is um, Martin Groves, who had an uh, an encounter with Dogman in LBL. Mm-hmm. Um, he was in our first American Werewolves movie. That was a life changing experience, but it also caused him to not just because of his experience, but I guess I guess his station in life to not really want to share it Um, Mm -hmm. for like it took a good while of us talking for um, for him to feel comfortable enough sharing his story with us. Um, And part of that is because he is retired law enforcement. But also, it's I mean, it's a pretty big deal to say that I saw this creature um (laughs) and then you also have the people that even if it wasn't like an earth-shattering experience for them it was something weird and then they go to tell someone and the first response they get is laughter or ridicule and so then they just shut down um so it's, it's kind of all over the map when it comes to that bigfoot i just it's easier right now to find witnesses about bigfoot i think just because He's been out there long enough. People are talking about it enough that more people feel comfortable, regardless of what the interaction was. Um, Uh They feel like, okay, all right, there's a whole community that's experienced this. Um, And so they're, I guess, more emboldened to come forward, sort of. It's more accepted to say, I saw Bigfoot (laughs) now. Absolutely. Um, (laughs) But it's different if you're going to say something like, oh, yeah, I saw the Jersey Devil. I'm sure of it um yes, I, yes. you're not going to get the same reaction
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. um
1: so i think it has to do with what's what's popular and culture for one at the time yeah that, what's that was going to be one of
0: my questions is how much culture plays a, a role in this and 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 where do like folklore characters like you just mentioned the jersey devil and stuff like that like these characters that are more historically based like i i can imagine them being there a whole other segment of uh Uh, experience or way to find these people or who's having modern day New New Jersey devil encounters. How much have you found that uh, throughout this work?
1: Yeah. So uh, with Jersey devil, we actually went about that one in particular with the mindset of we're just going to talk to historians and researchers and Mm -hmm. we're not going to seek out witnesses. Um so I didn't even have to attempt to try to find witnesses or or anything like that with something like the Bell Witch which 1817 to 1821 I mean obviously no one's still alive from that point. Um yeah. so you have to turn to historians and then people in current day who may have had um some sort of paranormal experience in the area. Um it does change the way that the entire movie is framed. As far as that goes, Um, because you can't I mean, people do have experiences there, but it's not the same as the Bell Witch, the story that we know of Mm -hmm. the witch that killed John Bell. I mean, you have to approach it from a historical perspective. That's just the way that it is. Yes. Um, She's not an ongoing character, so to speak, in that way. Um, So, yeah, that just it changes things. But with the ones that are more in popular culture like Bigfoot or now dog man is all over the place. Um, I think that that almost gives a little more creative freedom to, um, to Seth, especially because there's different ways that he could approach the topic. Um, it's not so narrow, like with bell, Witch. Mm -hmm. we kind of had to go at it with a historical perspective. If you were going to talk about the original tale, just that's how it had to go. Um, but with Bigfoot, and he, I think he explores this a lot with the uh, "On the Trail of Bigfoot" series. You can go about different facets of the culture um, and explore it in different ways. Um, and I just think popularity alone is what allows that to happen.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. So. As far as your involvement, like once you set up all of this and kind of give this framework to these movies and everything, are you involved in the writing process as well, as far as like, you know, breaking down how the movie's going to go from the interviews you set up and everything? Or is that more into the next group of uh, people? Or I've always wondered how that kind of works. <laughs>
1: uh, so, Rugaroo, I was actually, I got writing credit on that one because I wrote that. <laughs> oh, that, well, that's as far awesome. As, like, the stuff that um, that we hear Lyle Blackburn saying are the mm-hmm. words that I, I wrote. Um oh, that's And then, of cool. course, she ran scripted. it by Seth and everything.
0: Yeah, yeah, so
1: we scripted the narration and all of that. Um, and the way that that had worked is Seth and I sat down and um, came up with, like, these key things that were popping up in the interviews. Because we'll approach a movie, like, Seth and I um, might discuss before we go somewhere, like a rough idea of what he would like to, uh, approach, but more often than not, we may get that topic covered, but the witnesses often something else comes up that we weren't even anticipating. And then that kind Mm -hmm. of shifts the narrative. Um, but the last few things, uh, Seth has been the main one writing it, um, like is the writer Uh, Jersey Devil, that was Jason that wrote all of that. um, As far as the acting and stuff goes, the little, the scenes. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of a mixed process. I think everybody has a little bit of a piece in, in everything. um, Because Seth has come to me before movies and he'll explain what he wants to, what he's really hoping to get. And that sometimes will gear or steer me toward particular witnesses or yeah. locations like, okay, so you want to cover this. All right. So I'm just going to throw out this entire aspect of the story or, you know, mm-hmm. whatever the the myth may be. And we're going to focus on this because that's what you want it to be. Um, yeah. And we do that. So, and then it, the rest sense. of it comes into play later, as far as the writing and stuff goes. Um, a lot of the writing is definitely, seth now if we have a narrator um but some of these ones like american werewolves there is no narration it's just told from the witnesses and the researchers Mm -hmm. um but yeah there's there are story meetings where it's broken down into like all right this is we're gonna do like act one act two act three Mm -hmm. that's that's definitely happened before yeah
0: that's cool do you prefer the writing side of things like i know you write outside of small town monsters and is that mm-hmm. is that something that you prefer like if you could do any of it like would you prefer to do the writing the research is it all one to you I- <laughs> um
1: so I definitely prefer to do the research and talking to witnesses although the initial the initial reaching out to witnesses if it's online that's fine but if my first contact has to be through phone I have to like brace myself yeah. just because I don't <laughs> like to be on the phone Um, but I prefer the interaction with the witnesses and the research that leads up to it. I absolutely do love writing. um, And I would have no issue helping with writing on anything that we needed help with. Um, As long as I knew that that was like, if, if we could sit down and like with Rougarou what Seth and I did was we sat and came up with like different acts and how we wanted to do that. And it was just this loose framework. And then I would just write. Mm-hmm. um that I can do that it, I feel okay. extremely comfortable doing which is why I like doing the the short stories that I've been submitting and things if I have a prompt that speaks to me then I can do that um that's... but if I don't have guidelines that's where it's a little more difficult for me I have to make up my own guidelines <laughs>
0: No, absolutely. I am. I work uh, very similarly creatively. Like I have always worked in a very I give myself boundaries and like I don't I don't hold myself to them all the time. But a lot of the times I'll be like, all right four colors, you're not using more than four colors. That's what you get. <laughs> or I'll give right. myself very stringent, like this is being done by Friday. No, no, no getting out and things like that, because if not, then it'll take forever and I'll just keep playing yep. and whatnot. And I, I think there's mm-hmm. uh there's definitely something about like finding a finding a mix of having that kind of structure and breaking the structure, especially when talking about creative stuff. Like it's a, the good mm-hmm. stuff comes from that mix, like having enough structure to show up and do the thing every day, but being aware that you also get a lot out of breaking that structure and like getting, you know, those mm-hmm. creative kind of novelty injections and whatnot. Did you yeah. grow up loving stories? Like, were you a big, what got you into weird stuff? Like, was it, was it through <laughs> <laughs> what, what, Just in general, (laughs)
1: so um, I've always liked the weird stuff. Um, like, I I obviously, I mean, I grew up with unsolved mysteries, so as far as like the really weird, um, Mm -hmm. scary stuff, uh, unsolved mysteries was terrifying. Um, scary stories to tell in the dark, the stories themselves weren't terrifying, but the art was. (laughs) Oh, Oh, yeah, um, but it was this like morbid curiosity with things, um. I also always like the fantastical things. Like my favorite movie from childhood was, um, labyrinth. I would still watch it. I've got it all memorized or, you know, like Lord of the Rings, things like that. That's all right where I am. Um, and the worlds aren't that far apart between the weird and the fantastic, the fantasy stuff. So, um, it was, it was a lot of that. That's just always been in me, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, of course, as I got older, then I remember um, Ghost Adventures came out. Was it Ghost Adventures, the Taps team that like the gotcha. first?
0: Yeah, uh, the first. So like, maybe not Ghost Adventures, Ghost Hunters. Show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah.
1: So not the Zach Baggins one because that was like a little bit later. But the first one with the, like the plumbers, I think mm-hmm. the Taps dudes. Yes. Yes. Um, Seeing that that was an option, or MTV's Fear. I remember that show. Um,
0: Wow. I haven't thought about that one in a long time. That's funny.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Like all of that just kept it in my, my brain, I guess. Bits and pieces have just always been there um, until I ended up where I am now, um, (laughs) which was more seeking it out as an adult at that point. Like, okay. um, Now that I'm an adult and I can, make more choices i guess uh this Mm -hmm. is what i'm choosing to do
0: (laughs) yeah yeah no absolutely that's awesome i definitely i love those connections between the fantasy world realm and the weirdness like my my favorite stuff is that i come from the same it's very similar backgrounds as far as getting into this stuff and like it's uh, yeah. one of my favorite parts is the very I mean I grew up with like uh, dragons and stuff being way more into that than like traditional monsters and things but it's all oh, yeah. it's all scratching the same itch as, as you get older yeah. I was I never went down like getting into scary movies and stuff too much I was much more like I love Treehouse of Wars. I loved like old Twilight Zones and stuff like that mm-hmm. like I, lo- I love stories I'm really yeah. I'm, I'm here for the stories so I I, yeah. And I think that there's like, just like in any of this, there's so much truth and like just insight that can be gleaned from what uh, like what cultures are ingesting and what kind of stories they're kind of taking in and putting back out and seeing the kind of symbiotic relationship there, which have you seen that with like your research, like knowing what you've seen know from like your uh, enjoyment of fiction? Like, do you see those influences when you're getting into researching some of these topics?
1: Yeah, I think, um, especially when I get a chance to go into like a really deep dive, you can see uh, all of the influences <laughs> from <laughs> yeah. from different cultures, different time periods, um, and how all of that is meshed together to create what we have now. Um, and that in itself, I think, is a really interesting exercise to see what aspects have stayed with us like we've chosen as humans to remember this aspect of the story yeah um and I'll just because it's the one that I did like super extensive research on um and was the deepest involved in it would be like Ruguru. um when when looking at the writing up the different sections you could see the influence of so many different cultures um and when you go back in time you can see how stuff kind of disperses but there are certain key things that stayed for whatever reason to current day um and i find that fascinating to think about like okay so why did we why did the 13 like Ruguru can't count to 13 i wonder why that is what kept us like why is that in our mind right now yeah um why did that stand the test of time kind of thing um but yeah it's just it's definitely there um And I find that extremely fascinating. And when you get into folklore too, if you start going through the different motifs, um, there is this uh, wonderful index, um, Stith Thompson motif index. It's massive. Um, You can go through that. And years ago, um, all, like, I don't want to say all, but it certainly seems like every single motif that could ever come up in folklore was written out in, um, given like a reference number Whoa. and with each of those reference numbers, then there's also examples of this story, like a headless revenant or um, a ghost with unfinished business or, you know, something like that. It's all over the map, the different types, but it'll give examples. And that also helped with the ruguru stuff um, as well, because you could see the most prevalent, references where those came from um yeah. and it's all over it's like whole world uh folklore that's referenced in yes. this thing so yeah that's,
0: that's cool that's really cool and that's amazing that that gives me a few things I want to talk about but those like those aha moments of uh folkloric or mythological connection are so important like I remember getting to college I think it was and taking a um literature class like a and I have no clue what it was I was really bad with all of my. I went to art school so like the actual academic classes I took I paid very but one of the first things (laughs) that we did was look at all these different creation myths from a around the world and I went to Catholic school growing up like all the way through so we only looked at one creation myth so that was the first time I really got to see how like there's pretty much you know universal traits to all creation myths to flood myths like and you see these connections and you're like oh so like it's something innate in people like things are there and there's like there's some truth to something going on there but it also shows you that it's all bullshit at the same time it's one of these things <laughs> that like gives you this yeah. this paradoxical interaction that like is really important i think for young people to have to to have mm-hmm. this reference point of like oh this thing that i've kind of been like brought up on for the last however many years is accurate and probably more right because this new knowledge that I took in but it's also less accurate at the same time <laughs> and probably like right. it's it's, it's I, I might not be articulating this correctly but I feel like there's uh these connection points allow for different ways to interact with information that we've had for a long time or even like intuitive information that we feel that is like like you brought up the number 13 what do, so what yeah. was like the the connection point with the number 13 because that seems like one of those numbers that there's a lot of like um intuitive feelings about in a lot of different cultures Mm -hmm. a lot of different esoteric systems a lot of different like things that are way above my pay grade as far as uh, knowing (laughs) about them
1: (laughs) yeah yeah so normally we think of like in today today's society you say the number 13 it's got connotations of like bad luck right Mm -hmm. um so but with the ruru the idea is that he does not have the ability to count past the number 12 so in order to remain safe if the ruger is around you put out like 13 coins or something that equals 13 and then he is forced to sit and count and he'll get to 12 and he can't get to that 13 so he has to start over again Mm -hmm. and it's the same thing that you've heard from other um other creatures whether it's grains of rice you just toss grains of rice in the air and then the witch has to count them all or whatever um It's this idea that that's a paralyzing thing for whatever reason. Why the number 13? I'm not sure. Um,
0: I mean, the twelve apostles are the first. thing Like usually, when you hear like religious context of the number thirteen, a lot of the times it's because of either the forgotten apostle or because of like the. I mean, it essentially, it represents the thing outside of the good group. The and or some right. people say that's Jesus. Like that, the thirteenth apostle mm-hmm. was Jesus, or or uh, as many right. better, smarter people than I, the, the only true Christian <laughs> was the thirteenth apostle, who was Jesus, who was you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I that that number it is it, it, i don't i don't know much about it but i imagine there's a lot of that type of christian influence in that story or like that so like as mm-hmm. far as that melting pot of cultures that you spoke of i imagine that's in there somewhere yeah. but the oh, number yeah. 12 also pops up in a in 12 and 13 like the dichotomy between those numbers pops up in a bunch of different stuff that's really interesting and i mm-hmm. love I don't know anything about math. Math is like really confusing to me. I'm numerically <laughs> dyslexic. Like yeah. I didn't I didn't know my own phone number until I was like 13 and realized I could memorize like patterns. But um but it seems like it's one of those things that mirrors other uh truths. Like, you know, there like like it probably isn't yeah. just random that that number that he stops at 13. Like there's probably sure. a little something that it represents in some way. But I love that. Yeah. That's really cool. Did you like as far as when you were growing up and uh, getting into different weird stuff like did at some point did it influence the rest of what you were enjoying like did you go down any rabbit holes that like you know essentially changed what you were consuming as far as books or tv or or regular media
1: um so book wise I mean I was all into Lord of the Rings and reading that the trilogy over and over again and the Hobbit the Silmarillion and all of that um, which that alone takes up a good chunk of time. Um, but, uh, yeah, when it comes to something like TV, I was, I mean, specifically remember I would have been a sophomore in high school, I believe. Um, so I, I that taps stuff had just started, I believe. So mm-hmm. that was on, that was in my mind. And then they started announcing on the radio that, um, Mansfield Reformatory, um, or the place where Shawshank Redemption was filmed, um, yeah. here in Ohio, was opening for um, a haunted house at Halloween.
0: Whoa! That's and so cool. I was like,
1: "Oh, I want to go!" And I talked to my brother, and my brother agreed to take me. Um, and so I was like, fifteen or sixteen, and <clears throat> we go to Mansfield Reformatory. That was my first introduction. I immediately fell in love with the building because it's just gorgeous. Um, I was terrified throughout the haunted house um Mm -hmm. but then i went back like every year for several years after that regardless but anyway that's so awesome so i fell in love with that building um and that night uh when i got home my parents were like okay so there's this uh special that was on i feel like it was abc family or something one of the family Uh, channels they're like there's a special that we recorded because you could do like dvr type situation we think you might like it it's um somebody named chris angel (laughs) and it was like the mind freak thing uh like his his very first special when he had the long long hair before he had the the too thick of makeup and all this stuff and uh it just was a resurgence of things that I always loved when I was little. Cause I remember watching David Copperfield, but yeah. I hadn't thought of magic since then. Mm-hmm. I, but it, the way it all aligned that night was, you know, the ghost hunter thing was, it was okay. That can maybe someday I can do that. It wasn't, it still wasn't super popular yet to go and yeah. hang out in abandoned buildings, but the idea <laughs> that it's a possibility, um, and then actually going to Mansfield, and then getting home, and then Chris Angel is this like this magician is here now, because there that's hadn't hilarious. been there was like a drop off in magic that I at least in my life it was huge when I was little. We had mm-hmm. David Copperfield, um, and uh, well David Blaine was around too, but then we had that masked magician that yeah, that's revealed what I was gonna stuff.
0: Say. That was my last memory was the Fox mass magician that was revealing yeah. all the tricks. Like I, uh, I remember that being a yeah. big deal. <laughs> and then it
1: all got quiet for a while, at mm. least in my, my memory of history, everything got quiet for a while. And then Chris Angel started up and even when he started up, it that was that um, special. And then I didn't hear anything really for a couple years yeah. from him. And then he had like a show for a while, but anyway, it was just when things start lining up like that, um, It's something that has always grabbed my attention anyway. And so that was okay. So then I started looking into other places that we could go during Halloween. Cause at that point it didn't even cross my mind to, well, one, I wasn't old enough to go stay overnight at any of these places. I was still a minor. So, Mm -hmm. um, but like, okay, next year, can we go to another place? Oh yeah. We could go to Moundsville, which I still not been to Moundsville's um, haunted house, which is fine. I'm okay with that. I'd I'd rather not now. I, I'd rather just go see the building at this point than yeah. go through for a haunted house experience. Um, that's fair. But uh, yeah, that's it's just, it's always there. There's always little threads that keep popping up.
0: <laughs> no, and being able to kind of recognize when those threads are popping up and paying attention to them is I think that's one of the big benefits of being into the weirder stuff or being a person who just kind of is a little bit more uh, into things that reminds us that the world's magic and those are ways to kind of like it tap yeah. into that little bit of magic that the world can show you sometimes and it can be as simple as those things like winding up that like you know haunted house to the uh, <clears throat> excuse me something we loved when we were kids but there is some connection to that youthful, like chasing what got us curious as kids. And like, I always, yeah. but I always think about this, like very specifically this time in which I was riding home from my uncle's house up in central Pennsylvania. And my parents had one of those, uh, station wagons with the rear seat that faced the back window and folded down and everything. And I remember looking out at a really clear sky and getting that first time you feel that first that having that feeling for the first time, where you're like, "Oh shit!" Like real small, big universe. What's up yeah. there? Like in feel like I think it's really important to kind of find ways to have that feeling again as we get bigger. And it's a little easier when you're like, you know, looking into fun weird stories or even scary weird <laughs> stories or anything that just gets you thinking a little differently and whatnot.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And now that I'm older. Um, depending on what it is that's making the connections will just make me outright emotional at times. Um, Not like I obviously having a nostalgic feeling about something is good. um, Mm -hmm. At least for me, it's usually a very positive thing. Um, But then throughout the work that I've done every once in a while, we'll come across like a witness or a researcher um, that when they start explaining things that they've experienced, and even though it wasn't my experience like that, it was similar or something that I can deeply relate to. It will just make me emotional. Like, okay. So I actually do have a connection with somebody who lives on the other side of the country, um, that I've never met because we had a similar experience. Um, even on a, what may look like a superficial level, but the, I mean, there's that deep movement that you feel and, um, that I love that when that kind of thing happens, I'm like, okay, I, I like you. I trust you. (laughs) Um, like you're, I don't know. It's, it's a good thing. It's a good thing.
0: there's something really nice about this stuff that makes you realize we're all connected in a certain way there's a human aspect to it all that like i know uh people talk about in a lot of different ways but it doesn't really matter how you view it as long as you kind of recognize that interconnection and i love how many people that i talk to from like the the paranormal or the weirdo world that have more of a whether it's a a panpsychist worldview or an animistic worldview but they they seem to through this stuff subscribe to the idea that we're all like connected in some way and that there's like more going on to everything behind consciousness and everything which i think is like maybe the most important part of all this stuff is getting down to that part and being able to talk about those really big ideas about like what happens after we die and like where what is the little voice in our brains like why is it that we have why are we self-reflective monkeys and nothing else has been this way like all all those fun questions that like you know you think about out when you're like growing up for a while and then you can just lose track of time and don't have time to think. Like I feel very grateful to have the job I have that allows me to think weirdly and like reflect on those things where I know most people are doing things in which don't allow for such silly thoughts and whatnot, but uh <laughs> but I'm very yeah. grateful and, and and I love that hearing it from all different aspects of people and or from all different types of people in the community that they seem to find that connection and that interpersonal connection. And I also love what you, I mean, I, I had uh, John Tenney on a uh, couple of weeks ago and he brought up this thing that no one really talks about how like, societally acceptable it is to laugh and to be angry and like there's all these feelings that are very allowed in society but like crying and like feeling sad isn't one of them and like it should be it's one of those things Mm -hmm. that like it you shouldn't have to feel embarrassed to cry or to have that like emotion come over you especially when like you're in in these certain situations where like people are sharing and stuff like that but it's it doesn't get doesn't get presented in that way a lot of the times, you know, like, cause I is, and you know, for a a bunch of different ways, I'm just always interested in what is societally acceptable to share emotionally and stuff, especially now having kids and seeing how it kind of all filters through them and how they interact with everything.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's something since uh, becoming a parent, I've been more aware of as well because like, uh, okay, so the dichotomy of, of being aware of these things, but then also growing up in a very small conservative area where certain things just weren't allowed or, you know, weren't accepted. Um, but then you have children that, I mean, they're just being humans, like little humans. (laughs) And I want to tell them, you know, like, yes, what you're feeling or saying is absolutely it's correct. Um, yes, all of this is, is right. It's okay to feel this way. It's okay to think these way, this way. But I also want you to know that because of where we live, you may get some pushback on certain things. I'm just prepping you for this. Uh, because, um, yeah, you're fine. Yes. Everything is fine at home. You're loved. You're accepted. Like everything is good here. Um, once you leave this house and you go down the street or whatever, you know, like, uh, Just know because of where we are things might not be as accepting but that doesn't mean that's the way the world is either because Mm -hmm. once you leave this little area and you get into a bigger you know a bigger city or you go to college or anything like that it'll come right back around to like you'll find your people um yes so and that's something that has become very apparent since coming into this community as well is finding those people that are my people (laughs) (laughs) yeah um one way or another it just seems to line up and happen that way um and i know like our friend vuk has been Mm -hmm. um instrumental with certain relationships that i found like introduced me to people that otherwise i hadn't talked i wouldn't have talked to Um, and the same with jordan like Mm -hmm. and and i'm finding like oh okay so that is that's one of my people like i've heard the name (laughs) but I've not spoken to them before. Uh, But the little things that I've heard, they're like, you know, I think that you guys would really get along. You could have some really good conversations. Um, And then I I look into it more. I'm like, oh, yep. Yeah, you're right. Um, (laughs) But it's it's just because of the way everything lines up that um, it all comes together. And I think there's also something to be said about the timing of things. Um, Because five years ago, I probably wouldn't have been ready for some of the conversations and the people that I've met, but I am now. So um it happens for a reason,
0: I guess. Yeah. I'm I'm with you on that. Absolutely. No, and I I couldn't agree more with everything you just said from the kids stuff all the way through to the connections that I mean, it's funny because I was just I've been busier than ever, uh, both personally and professionally. And like mm-hmm. I do the podcast now, which is a whole other level of been like sort of, <sighs> of sitting down with Allie and we're like, where can we carve out time where and like the podcast doesn't make money or do anything really as right. far as like promoting my actual professional life but mm-hmm. giving me the opportunity to make these connections and exactly what yeah. you just spoke of with Jordan and Vuk it's worth mm-hmm. all of that and more so like it's not yeah. it's worth keeping the time and like even the daily episodes that I do that like are like the least listened to the least what you would see like it would be the first thing if a financial planner or somebody with like some actual like like they'd be like no you stop doing this this is a waste of time but i get <laughs> I, I i get so I, I get so much like side benefits from it, from just sitting down and thinking about what I just drew and rambling into a microphone to myself. It's like, it's like just talking to nobody for five minutes and it feels great. And like, even if only like, you know, 40 people listen to it, then like, fine, that's cool. I don't care. Like even if nobody listens to it, like it's, it's worth it for those side benefits. Right. But like, being able and like that gets the the, gets kind of back to what you're saying about the kids like I think about this all the time with my my little dude who just graduated for I guess graduated just finished kindergarten (laughs) I want to tell him every day like this all matters a lot and it doesn't matter at all like everything you're going through right now it's very important and it seems even more important right now but trust me like it doesn't matter. Kindergarten, I don't, I couldn't tell you what happened in kindergarten. Like it's gone. Like, it's just not a thing that is going to, and like, I know it's very important for developmental things and for him to learn the right things and to keep the brain growing and all like all of those Mm -hmm. things, very important, but also just it's, it's that like that, that lesson in paradox that I think parenting has become like more than anything. Like I, I've talked a lot about on this Mm -hmm. podcast about how I got back into the paranormal when I was about to become a parent. I didn't really know why I always say it's because I started thinking about like death and like started getting into ramdas and that led me back to the paranormal but i think more than anything there was something that was guiding me speaking of like you know something making a plan and setting the way Mm -hmm. and there was something guiding me and being like hey you need to get used to living in paradox. Here's some examples of like some paradoxical diet. Like here's how we get you, you know, we're we're going for soft disclosure here. We're going to get you used to this by like getting you back into the stuff you grew up on loving and like these stories of these things, anomalous encounters and all the stuff that I got back into, but really it was all just training for like how weird being a parent is in 2023.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And the kids have been really good about, um, I mean, they have no idea that they're doing this, but um, making me rethink things that were like instilled in me, um, certain stuff that like I grew up and you know, mom may have automatically said no, just for whatever Mm -hmm. reason. So that's in my head that as soon as they ask, I don't, I can't even think of an example, but like going outside in the rain, my mom would Mm -hmm. not let me go outside often in the rain. And I know why now it's because I was a child that had asthma and I was sick all the time. And so she's like, you're not going out. To get soaking wet and then cold and then who knows what happens but when my kids were younger the first time they want to go out in the rain I'm like no yep. and and then they're like why it's important that they ask why and I tell them that why and I'm like um go ahead go
0: Yeah, yep, <laughs> go exactly on. yeah, yeah. I, you know no. I
1: don't know I don't know why um I, I
0: that's so funny because I've been in that exact same situation where I Google like can you get sick from being in the rain? And, the, and it's like,
1: <laughs> right. Like the,
0: the first thing that comes up is like, no, you don't get sick from being in the rain. From, if you have <laughs> symptoms, it exasperates those symptoms. So if you already have a cold, right. you're going to sneeze more, yep. you're going to cough more, but it's not going to necessarily make you sick. And I'm yeah. like, okay, go stomp in the rain. Like, it's, just, it's so funny. Cause I've had that exact same <laughs> like thing where both me and my, me and Allie are both like is this bad? Is this good? I don't, I feel like it, but all the time, like kids, like I, when I look down and I get frustrated with my kids, I can almost guarantee you it's because they're doing something that I see my, like, I'm like, Oh no, it's me. Like they're just doing me yeah. at me or, or they're doing something oh, yeah. that like, I might not uh, uh, love all that much about my partner. I'm like, Oh, it's your mom. Oh no. Like this is <laughs> like this big magnifying glass of like, you know, it's a, like, I've, I noticed I was just saying I, I went to a, um, I played a couple shows recently for the first time in a long time. And I ran into people I haven't seen in like five or six years. And most of them were either like just got divorced, just got – all these things. And they had kids like right around like those four or five years ago. And I was like, okay, okay that makes sense. And I ran into my buddy that's a little bit younger. And he's like, oh, my friends are getting married. and everything I was like, oh, it's so funny. I had just the opposite. He's like, oh, I'm like five years younger than you. I'm like, yeah, give it five years. They'll either do really good with kids or the kids because the kids just like – they magnifying glass the whole relationship, yep. and you either like, oh, I do really love this person I just made this kid with, or you're like, maybe that for better or worse, like no, <laughs> no shade either way, you know, but you're like maybe yeah. that isn't the right thing, and like mm-hmm. because it's it's definitely like. I I I fall I have fallen into the nature camp real hard at this point like they are the acorn like the whole trees in that acorn they come out <laughs> like fully formed you know like yeah. I think we have like like 10% like I think our parents like growing up thought they had like 50%. They thought they had this giant control and I think that's yeah. why they got really bummed at certain points when they're like oh shit like this isn't really working as well as I thought <laughs> we're like I feel like the, the like or at least from my experience like i feel like i have i'm aware that i have a lot less control like i feel like i'm like okay i got 10 yeah. percent. i'm still gonna try really hard to make sure i like <laughs> lead by example and make sure he sees yeah. you know me doing yeah. the things i would want him to model in the world but like yeah i i have to remember that like they come out pretty fully baked i'm pretty sure like i you know <laughs> yeah yeah i
1: think the major difference that um I kind of strive for is is to open up lines of communication to discuss these things with them, Yeah, because that was not, I mean, I love my parents dearly, but it's not like we often sat down and had heart to hearts about Mm -hmm. um, school drama or whatever. Um, (laughs) And I will say like, I've been very open with my children, but even with like my oldest, there's still something to be said that when they get to a certain age, they don't want to hear you regardless. I mean, she's 12 (laughs) at this point. It doesn't matter how open I've been. I mean, it it does matter to a certain extent because she still will come and talk to me about things, but she may just talk to me and not necessarily care what I say in return. She just wants to talk (laughs) Uh, because I, you know, I'm older. I don't know. And, and to a certain extent, some of it, I don't know. I I didn't grow up in the generation that she's in. Um, we were talking earlier about being, um, you know, around with the internet. But when I was younger, there wasn't internet and then there was, but it was limited. Um, Like the most harassment that was going to be happening was through um, AOL instant messenger. (laughs) It wasn't like constant and you were on dial up. So you weren't allowed on the internet all the time um, because you were tying up the phone lines
0: like it wasn't a profession to aspire to that's what else is so different now is that social media stuff youtuber all this like you ask like 80 percent of the kids over six right now I feel like they tell you they want to be a youtuber so like yeah my son and and, and, yeah no absolutely (laughs) like and you can't the monetary stuff makes it even more confusing and even more of this like weird I don't know like AOL, like when I was like growing up with AIM messenger and those like yeah. chat rooms and stuff, I never yeah. once thought about the Internet as a way to earn money. Right. Like I never thought mm-hmm. that was like like that right. would be as crazy as me telling my parents I want to draw comic books when I grow up. They'd be like, what are you talking about? But, uh, yeah. <laughs> but at this point, like the thing that we have to kind of regulate with them will probably be a large chunk of what eventually allows them to earn a living and like so not only are we regulating like their social behaviors and their social kind of interactions with these things but we have to be careful with like well when do we allow them a little bit more so that they are prepared for the world to make money like you know it's all these different things that we've and that other thing that is completely different is how fast it changes now like what is yeah. good advice right now could be completely bad advice six months from now and like even like yeah. I just saw like when I scroll over my phone the little news story pops up there's one that keeps popping up where it's like uh, first generation of Instagram babies has grown up and they are not happy because they're all seeing their like <laughs> oh, picture they're all from the internet. like yeah, everyone's baby picture you needed that classic like oh I had my I went over to my boyfriend's house and her, her his mom showed me the embarrassing, like you know, booty on the bearskin rug picture. Yeah. Now those pictures are everywhere, for like my kids included. Like you know, like the day yeah. of reckoning is coming. Like it is, but, um, that's but, true. You know, it's little cultural shifts like that. I think have much bigger implications than a lot of us can like either sense or feel when they're happening. And we just kind of go along with it because everybody's sharing baby pictures. And like, you know, like I, even me, I try to be a little sensitive with like what I share with my family, but I still share videos of my kids and stuff. And like, it's a, it's, it's all weird. Like the, 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 the pace that the world is getting weird and how weird we have to interact with it all is just keeps going faster and faster. And I think Mm. that, um, I was, this is another thing that Tenny said that I've really been kind of mulling over, but he threw out the idea that like we are seeing the first generation of spacefaring humans and they're actually mm-hmm. like different humans than me and you. Like they have actually evolved into like different people and a different species. <laughs> and I, I, I've I, yeah. said a similar thing and different. And when he said that, I was like, oh, man, I think he might be on. I think we're seeing because like one thing that yeah. I've said on a couple of different podcasts is my kid. He has our uh, art- speech articulation problems, and like mm. I don't remember much about kindergarten, but what I do remember is kids being mean to me, and I was very worried about kids being mean to my yeah. kid. But I have found th- just in this very small certain circumstance that the kids are way nicer than I remember. And like, in Mm -hmm. general, it seems like kids are more empathetic and a little bit more like they feel a little more. And like, I'm sure there's still jerks and there's still like plenty of issues in those ways. But like in general, I'm seeing the shift for, for, emotional growth in a certain way that i had never seen or remember experiencing when i was young which i think might tie into all of that and like i like the way mm-hmm. he put it that we're just seeing some space fearing uh, you know new new evolution of humans coming up here <laughs> yeah
1: absolutely absolutely
0: Awesome. Well, I, we've been talking for almost an hour here and I don't want to keep you too long. And I did, I, I didn't, I never know where these are going to go, but I should always know when I'm talking to other parents, we're going to get on the topic of kids and stuff like that. But one thing yeah. I did want to ask you that kind this is like almost a smooth segue, right? You, you're really involved in the publishing arm of small town monsters, right? And mm-hmm. you all have it. You just put out the, your first, one of your first releases was a kid's book, right? Like yes. that's something yeah. that I am super into i've been making my own kids books and like really i loved it and i thought it was like was that something that you did intentionally were you like we want to start with a kid's book or did it just kind of line up that way um, i was interested it, to know the story of that
1: it really just lined up that way what happened was uh michael strayer or i call him mikey and uh Bally raven um approached mm-hmm. us with i mean it was done um yeah. like we hear that you guys are gonna start a publishing company. Maybe, what do you think about this? And it was adorable. Um, so we're like, okay, yeah, let's do that. Um, and so it was a good, um, a good introduction to the publishing world. It's a whole other ball game than once we started publishing like Hallenbeck's book and now Aaron Deese's book, um, completely different animal. But, um, yeah, I think the timing was just, perfect also the way that it timed we had it out in time for cryptid bash um so it was there for mikey like yes. it, i mean and that's kristen huge. they were both there um and that was just a, a happenstance that the timing of starting publishing company and then getting all that ready we were able to make that happen before cryptid bash so yeah
0: that's awesome so you are is the publishing company something that you're looking to do more of like do you like that side of the of what you're doing with small town or is it something that you're just like i'll help out do this more or is this some like a passion <laughs> project like is it is, <laughs> so, I, I just know from like the little bit of self-publishing i've done like it's a whole thing oh <laughs> well,
1: yeah it most certainly is so um essentially it's it's a whole other animal but uh So my job so far with the publishing has been um, to obviously keep in touch with the authors, but like when Aaron, so the way that the Texas Dogman triangle book worked was Aaron sent like a rough draft to me. um, And I started to go through it and I would give him notes on things before I'd even get into um, like heavy editing. It'd be Mm -hmm. notes since I'm a researcher, there'd be parts where I'm like, Oh, well, do you want to get a hold of this person? Like he referenced a letter from fate magazine or something uh, that he read. It was a fate magazine from like the seventies or something. And I'm like, well, do you want us to reprint that? Like, let me get a hold of fate magazine and just things that he hadn't done yet. It's still, but it just adds a little bit more depth to it. Um,
0: Or he was talking
1: about a, there was a Reddit user, that he'd referenced their Reddit posts. And I'm like, well, do you want to talk to them? Um, So I tracked that guy down. um, And then they were able to to communicate more. And then he was able to add more stuff to the book. Um, And then the heavy editing comes in um, after everything's kind of put together. And um, I told Aaron the first round of edits, I said, please do not feel like this is me um, beating down on you or anything. They weren't edits to the content. It would just be Mm -hmm. edits like, you know, we need to, some, some sentences have one space after them. Others have two. like, we have to have this uniform and then, (laughs) yeah. And then um, also I think every writer has this where you find a word that you really like and you end up using it five times in a page Uh, and it, it, you don't catch it as somebody else catches it. And then you're like, ah, dang Uh, stuff like that. Um, That's huge. And then formatting the book as well. That's the part that I detest. Is the formatting?
0: Oh yeah, <laughs> It's uh, the least favorite part of everything.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, but the rest of it's great, um, and I love doing that. And we're going to continue to publish books, but um, the formatting, man, that
0: do you that are makes you me just want to throw
1: my computer.
0: <laughs> have you ventured into? Are you uh, are you familiar with InDesign? Is this getting you familiar with InDesign? Are you doing no? It through the, the only no, thing you... I've
1: used is uh, Microsoft Word. <laughs> You let's
0: work? L- let's talk off air, Heather. I think I can help you. Okay. With this, <laughs> yay! With this, uh, yeah, I mean. <laughs> It's my least favorite part, but I've done plenty of it at this point. And like, I'm not an expert by any means, but I know enough where if you uh, if you could get access to an Adobe suite, you can make your life a lot easier, depending on how many books you go. But that you've put out some pretty thick books. So doing those via word, that's impressive.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's all that I knew. And that's kind of like when we started this, um, it was okay, you know, here's our we have our crew. Or wanting yep. to start a publishing make company, it happen. figure it out, kind of thing. Um, and I love that's that. All that though. I knew. So
0: yeah, um, no, that's that. Yeah. That's the best way stuff happens because I still, and it's so funny. I still do things so backwards, and even like I now talk to more professional artists than ever. And like if I showed them my design files or how I, they would laugh at me. They'd be like, "Why would you ever do it like this?" I'm like, "Because <laughs> it's how I figured it out." Because I don't. I mean, a lot of this right. stuff and. What's really funny, I was just talking to somebody about this the other day, is that especially with like Adobe and stuff, you just don't have to go to school for it anymore. Like one, Mm -hmm. if you grew up with computers, even as much as we did and are somewhat fluent with how any program works you can Mm -hmm. like it's pretty intuitive now like you know it's not like the the barrier of entry is a lot lower and two, the amount of like ed like uh youtube videos and stuff like that just makes it so that you can you can quickly watch a tutorial on anything you're trying to figure out but uh Mm -hmm. but yeah that side of things like i love i'm a book nerd i love like fancy design books and i love i love books that have like the uh the shiny like spot varnishes and like Uh silver you know all that like i love those things but like the amount of work it takes to get those accomplished at a printer is something I am not a huge fan of because it's definitely this. I, I like making the stuff, like putting it all yeah. together as the, it's tough. It's tough. Um,
1: that reminds me like, so for Aaron's cause I've got the, like, Oh, it looks pretty. The hardcover there. Yeah. But like Aaron had this watermark. I can't, it's a little Texas oh, yeah, thing. totally.
0: It's awesome. And, I love um,
1: it. I saw it on the initial draft, but then once I moved stuff to Word, it was gone. And over a process of months, I had forgotten that it even existed. Um, (laughs) And then when I was trying to do all the formatting, all of a sudden it pops back up, but it was like way, like in a very bad place. So then trying to figure out how to move the watermark and then also how to do like uh, Roman numerals for the front matter Mm -hmm. versus page numbers for the rest and section breaks and all this other stuff. This Uh, is why YouTube is helpful. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. The the thing that's nice about like InDesign is all of those things are built into the, t- like, you set oh. that all up in the beginning and then it's all saved page to page. And it just, oh, you nice. can say, so like, and after you've built something like the Texas Dog Man, you could save that as a template. So if he does his Texas Dog Man too, you can just plop and then it just plops and then it all oh, just <laughs> it's smart. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk. Okay, I'll, I'll get you some, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll help you. Yeah. I just, uh, I, you can ask Mikey about how, we just did the moth. Uh, I helped them format the Moth Boys. Uh, what's called? The yeah, the Sherman White Monster things. book. The White yeah. Monster. Yeah, exactly. And that was. It was a lot of Zoom calls with Mikey, just being like changing spellings and stuff in InDesign, and it's, <laughs> it was my first time doing a lot of work in InDesign for a long time. So when I was first publishing books like all the ways you would submit it, you actually had to put it in book format. So instead of just like putting a PDF together where it's linear, where it's like page one, page two, page three, page four, you had to put the pages where they'd fall in the print order, order, if that makes sense. So like your first signature would be like the first page and the last page. And then the, and Mm -hmm. man, my brain, like I'd have to print out and make four, like I'd have to make physical (laughs) dummies so I knew where each page would fall, you know? And then I would like, I would tape it all together so I could actually flip through it. And then I would make, a digital version of that it was yeah my yeah. brain's broken from self-publishing uh, back in like the early 2000s <laughs> before like on print on demand became so much easier um yeah <laughs> but that's awesome are you uh, are you planning on doing a lot more with the publishing arm of things um
1: so that yes we are going to continue to to put books out there as far as like how many a year um that's something that we still haven't decided on fully um because we kind of were testing things out as we go since mm-hmm. we just started this so we totally, had the children's yeah. book, we had um hallenbeck's book and then when we got to aaron's it there was the idea of can we tie this in with a documentary um which is working out really well but is that the way that all the books need to work out i don't know um, is that even feasible? Like, I
0: yeah. <laughs> um, well, uh, so. if you look at how like other publishers work, you have your hits that, that support. Like I held up this uh, Daniel Klaus book from Fantagraphics. Daniel Klaus is what's paying. Like Daniel Klaus and like Snoopy reprints are what's paying for Fantagraphics to put out all the books that don't sell at all. You know, so right, you have right. like, you know, the publishers that I always love have their hits that pay the bills or like record labels do the same thing. You have one band yeah. that sells like, uh, you know, <laughs> Twenty million records and that's what supports like a lot of so yeah I may, I'm i not a business person in that regards but I think there's yeah, definitely a model either. you can find in there that supports all the like fun weirdo stuff you could do but that's really cool yeah. that I love I just love books so I'm glad somebody's putting more books me out into too. the world <laughs>
1: yeah absolutely yeah. I collect I say I collect books I tell uh, like Mark Matsky we always joke about the number of books that we have and I say mm-hmm. listen it's a reference library I don't have to read them all from cover to cover. I just need them here to reference at different points in time. Um, So that's what I I have a reference library.
0: (laughs) I have like tons, like almost all the books behind me are comics. And I have like... Mm -hmm just stacks and stuff. right now i've been really into like 1940s and 50s space comics and i don't Mm. read a lick of them like they're not to really be read but just like looking (laughs) at them for like aesthetic information like it's just so inspiring like what what those uh what those wild folks did back then um same and like even with the kids it's the one thing like we're not we try to set limits as far as what we buy as treats, but books are the one thing where it's like, No, nah, we'll always like we don't yeah, you want an extra book, we'll get you an extra book. Like we're yeah. or like you want an extra trip to the library, all right, we'll go out to the library. Like it's definitely one of those things we sure. we probably splurge more than we should on, but I I love kids' books Same. and just we have Absolutely more too many at this point but <laughs> yeah <laughs> awesome well look heather i don't want to keep you too long this was a wonderful conversation and i feel like it was like all over the place and super fun like i i had, I don't normally have a plan for these things and i wrote down like four different things that we talked about pretty much all of them so i'll call that a success <laughs> awesome no i um, had a lot of fun Totally. We'll do it again for sure. And I, I want to, I've said this through the last couple podcasts I've done, but I want to start doing some more roundtables. And I feel like you'd be a super fun person to have on with some other friends and talk about, like, I'm not good at being like, let's talk about the specific topic for this episode. But I feel like (laughs) that I have enough friends that are way smarter than I am at this point that I could do some (laughs) of those. That would be really fun. Um, But yeah, to to wrap up, tell people where to find you, what you have, what you'd like to promote or uh, anything you have going on.
1: Okay. So, um, <clears throat> obviously small town monsters, you can follow us, um, at our website, which is smalltownmonsters.com or YouTube. We have a lot of stuff there as well. Um, we have the publishing company, Aaron's book just came out, the Texas Dogman triangle, um, on a personal note, if you want to follow what I'm doing outside of STM in addition to STM stuff, cause I'm, I obviously will post STM stuff when we're out on shoots and things, but, um, instagram i'm always on instagram uh at Pegan historian and um i have a piece that just came out in the feminine macabre volume five called satirical synchronicities um Ooh. so pick that up i'm also in volume three and volume one um the odd numbers <laughs> uh <laughs> and then there's been short stories that i've been putting out there and those are starting to uh to trickle in and come out um piece by piece but i post about them on instagram when it is time so there's that or my email if anybody has a story they want to share um heather at smalltownmonsters.com
0: awesome i'll share all of that in the notes below here and yeah thank you so much for doing this heather it was a real blast
1: yeah Yeah, thanks for having me
0: enjoy the rest of the afternoon yes (laughs)